welcome to Finding Life Church. I don't know about you, but my hands are like sweaty from watching him like almost fall off of that rock. Consider this sort of like your, your like warning that um, at the movies is coming in February. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, no, but I, I'm, I showed this video for a reason this morning, not just because I like movies and because at the movies is coming. Um, we are in week three of our DNA series. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been talking about Finding Life Church Foundations. Um, who we are matters um, because who we are dictates how we live, what we do, um, our investments, uh, how we use our resources, um, what we point our eyes at, what we focus on, um, what we're actually after. So this movie, Mission Impossible, if you know the storyline, if you've seen the movie before, I know it's kind of an old movie, um, but come on, Tom Cruise, climbing rocks, it's always a good day, right? So Tom Cruise is this special agent. Every time he gets, every movie, there's like, I, there's got to be like 12 of them by now. Um, but every time he gets a new mission, um, the guy comes on the glasses or whatever and says, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. This morning is about understanding our mission, um, our mission as a church. Um, we started three weeks ago with, with sort of like foundations of the church. And if you were with us, um, we talked specifically about uh, the concept of understanding um, the word sent differently. That, that God, when God established his church on this earth, he gave us a new identity, and that identity was one of sentness. And I gave you this weird kind of concept that the, the phrase sent is actually not a verb in this context, but it's an adjective. It's, it's meant to be something that defines the church. We are the sent ones of Jesus. And when we understand that, connect with that, live into that, then all of our other decisions, everything else about who we are and what we do in the context of church is filtered through that lens. Um, last week, Travis did an incredible job uh, of introducing our vision as a church. And see, our vision needs to align with God's original intent for the church, the designed, designated DNA of the church. And if, if our vision aligns with that, then it allows us to then consider um, what God has in store for us um, in our mission. Understanding first the phrase sent as an adjective that defines who we are instead of just a verb that describes our actions brings clarity to what Jesus has called us to. It's the default identity that sets the tone. Um, in the following week, um, Travis talked about vision, right? Um, our vision is what we long to see God do, what we believe God wants to do, what we are praying for, what we won't let go of until we see it happen. And he shared with you this vision. He said, our vision, we're imagining more and more people immersed in their community as walking worshipers. People are coming alive in intimacy with Jesus as they learn to engage with him in the everyday moments of their lives. They're coming alive with a passion for his kingdom that unleashes them to be life givers in their natural sphere of influence. As a result, more and more people are coming to saving faith in Jesus and learning what it means to be his disciple, his follower. The result then, God is multiplying everything, new and more relationships, life-giving faith, powerful community, and more transformational churches for his glory. This is our vision statement. And our vision statement is intended to be like a, a target for us to hit. I'm going to come back to that in, in just a minute. I, I get a little choked up reading this because whether you are aware of this or not, I wasn't aware of it until um, like two days ago, until Friday night. Um, but today kind of marks the eight-year anniversary of Finding Life Church. Um, it was actually January 18th, 2009, that we had our first public worship service. So that was actually, what, Thursday, Wednesday? Um, whatever, it was the actual specific date, but this Sunday is kind of like the celebration point or the day that we celebrate our eight-year anniversary. And from the beginning of Finding Life Church, this vision has been at the heart, at the core of everything that we've wanted and asked God to do. So when I read this, 
um, like emotions get conjured up in my heart that, that I didn't even realize were there, and especially looking out at you all because you are a manifestation of this vision. Um, and many people who aren't here today um, are a manif manifestation of the vision that God gave us a long time ago. Friday night I was sitting with my daughter at her elementary school, Ackerman Elementary School, having a kid's movie night. The school did a kid's movie night. And it dawned on me in that context, this is where we held our first public gathered worship service for Finding Life eight years ago. It was so weird to be back in that place. But what was stri so striking to me was that all the things that I longed to see God do, all the things that my wife Anne-Marie and I have prayed for over the course of the last eight years, they're still the same things we want to see God do today. And for many of you in this room, you are actually an example, a living example of the, the reality that God has accomplished so many of these things in the lives of real people. And like I said, it goes way beyond that. The vision I just read was the vision on that first day, and it remains our vision today. Um, there's a couple of minor changes because one of, the, one of the things we're committed to at Finding Life is continually allowing the word of God and the heart of God to, to reshape and remold and continually make us better every single day. So we don't hold anything overly tightly because God can always correct. He can always change. So there's some subtle nuances, but the gist is exactly the same as it was eight years ago. And that's exciting to me. That makes me um, feel like this church has a target that we're shooting at. Our vision matters. Why? Um, last week, Travis talked about how easy it is as human beings to start with tangible things. We are more tempted to think about what we do than who we are or what we're even pointed at. Why? Because it's tangible. Right? It's measurable. We can wrap our arms around something that's, that we can do. But the problem, the problem is when we start with what we can do, what we can accomplish, and what we can, we can measure, we end up shooting at a moving target. Or even worse, we end up with no target at all. Consider a, an archer right, that shoots archery. They have a bow, they have an arrow, they have a target. The target is the vision. right? The, the archer spends time considering focusing in, looking down whatever the, I don't know what it's called, I'm not an archer, looking at the target, even envisioning the bullseye and seeing the arrow hit the bullseye, right? Because that's the goal, that's the target, that's what he wants to see happen. Now when he lets that arrow go, a lot of things can happen, right? The wind, and I know that those archers are like so good that they even like account for the wind. But once that arrow leaves, leaves the, the bow, the archer no longer has any control over where it goes. But his hope, his goal, his target is that bullseye. And he knows it very, very well. So then his mission has everything to do with what he has to do in advance to make that arrow align the best way he possibly can so that it has the potential, once it's released from the bow, to hit the spot that he wants it to hit. That is the archer's mission. Vision is so important to understand first because it sets the course for our mission. It gives us a target to shoot at. It determines what steps we can take to give our arrow a fighting chance to hit the target. After clarifying the vision, we take a step back and say to ourselves, okay, this is what we want to see God do. What is our role in this story? What can we do to see that actually come to fruition, our mission then is birthed out of our vision. What do we do to make this vision happen? There's so much in our vision statement that is simply impossible for us to accomplish, which Travis talked about last week, right? A vision is useless unless it's filled with stuff that we can't do. 
If if I read you a vision statement um, that was accomplishable by human actions, human beings, human talent, knowledge, abilities, then that was a worthless vision. Because God has clarified to us in Ephesians that he's able, capable, and wants to do abundantly more than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, right? We serve this amazing God, and so to have a small vision, uh, it just limits what God wants to and can do in and through our lives. Without clear, compelling, catalytic mission, we find ourselves trying to hit a target without a bow and arrow. Once again, we have to start with Jesus, and he has something to say about the mission of the church, right? Our vision sets our sights on a goal, on our target, and our mission aligns our steps with Jesus so that we can see, we're going to be part of seeing that vision come to life in real life, in the lives of real people all around us. The verse I'm about to quote from Matthew chapter 28 is probably like not going to come as any surprise to you because no verse or set of verses has been quoted or read from this platform or any other that I've stood on or any other speaker from Finding Life Church than this verse right here. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. This is Jesus. You've heard me talk about this before. He is setting the mission of the church. Right? He is identifying their DNA. So much is happening in this verse, right? You are the sent ones of Jesus. He's giving them a vision to reach the entire world for his glory. And he's telling them, here's what you need to do now. This is your part. Here is your role. And it's really, really clear. It's really, really clear. And simply put, loosely translated, he's saying, here is your part. Go introduce all the people to my saving grace. And then show them what it means, what it looks like to follow after me. This is where we get our cue. This is where our mission is rooted. Sure, we can put it in our own words and flesh, and flesh it out in a way that makes sense to us in our culture, um, but it has to align with these words because this is the mission of the church. There isn't another one. Um, it, it, it sort of pains my heart. Um, it creates an ache in my heart to consider. When I consider how many things we, churches, pastors like me, religious people, it probably, because, like, probably with some good motivations, have taken what Jesus intended and turned their mission into something that was so far from the heart of God that we missed the point entirely. But God is saying, you can't, you can't do that. Any church that isn't centered, defined, and driven by the mission, the mission of Jesus is simply not the church. And one of my favorite authors is Alan Hirsch, and he says, Christianity is Christ-focused, Christ-defined, and Christ-led, or it is not Christianity. And I fear that, that this definition, this understanding of mission, not being a negotiable action that we do or don't do, but an identity, identifying trait of the church has caused us to become some shell of what God originally intended. I'm convinced that understanding clearly the mission that God has us on collectively and individually, changes everything. This is why we're going to take the mission of Jesus so seriously. It honestly blows my mind the things that we can make out of it. We don't get to do that. We are who we are because of who God says we are. We, the church, then, do what we do, not because it's comfortable, but because Jesus invited us into it, period. 
If we don't, we cease to be the church at all. And if we, the gathered church of Jesus, cease to be the church, then we individually cease to be Christ followers. Like, I get this. I, I understand. Like, if I slow down and read that again, that is really in your face. That's really convicting, at least for my heart. And that's sort of like what I'm here to do today. This is who we are. We are a mission-centric church. Not because we're unique, but I believe because that's what Jesus called us to be. That is the identity of the church. There's no such thing as a church without the mission of Jesus at the center, at the core. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the mission of Jesus at the core of who they are. I think we've misdefined that a little bit. So if you call Finding Life Church your home, if you want to be part of what God is doing with Finding Life Church in the world, in this community, this is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Um, here it is. We are helping people find and follow Jesus, believing that real life begins and ends in a genuine and deepening experience with the one who created us. We're learning to live one moment at a time with Jesus. We're bringing our faith together with our lives, resulting in a lifestyle of faith. As our own faith comes alive, so does the longing that others experience it for themselves, and our passion grows for his kingdom. It is intimacy with the king and passion for his kingdom that opens the door to a life worth living. The choice to pursue intimacy with Jesus makes us disciples of Jesus. And that new identity sets us on the mission of making more disciples of Jesus. Which very simply put means we are helping people find and follow Jesus. The simple statement, helping people find and follow Jesus, that is our mission. That's the mission of Finding Life Church. Those other words that I, they just sort of flesh that out for us. What does that look like? What does that mean? They sound nice, right? Maybe bring a little bit more like character to those words. But, but the simple reality is God has put us, God has put us on this earth as individuals and then individuals make up the corporate church. He's put us on this earth for this purpose. To help people find and follow Jesus. There's lots of incredible language here. You get a sense of process from our mission statement. You get the sense that we aren't trying to change people. Um, you get the sense that we aren't perfect, but we're passionate about Jesus and the impact he can have on real people. You get the sense that what we really care about most is people experiencing the power of God's love, grace, purpose, mission in their lives because we, we genuinely believe there isn't a life that's better. There's not a better pursuit. There isn't a better purpose on this planet but ultimately you get the sense that there is something really important that everything we are doing is pointed directly at and it's wrapped up in that simple mission statement we are helping people find and follow Jesus there's two key aspects um, to this simple statement that, that sort of encompass everything that we want to do and and define our mission for us and help us understand it my goal my hope this morning is that you walk out of here not only clear about what it is but convinced wholeheartedly that this is in fact what Jesus died for this is in fact the very thing and the only thing that's actually worth living our lives for and the first is this. You've heard it a million times. It's number one on your outline. What matters most is people finding Jesus. This has like so much emotion wrapped up in it because we've said this phrase probably more than we've read that verse. 
right? We had a huge sign made out of it. It's been on social media a million times. You've heard me say that phrase I don't know how many times. What matters most is people finding Jesus. I probably preached 15 to 20 messages on that topic in particular in hopes that you would, in fact, that this phrase, in fact, would take root deeply in your heart. This week I was contemplating that, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but God has had me on an interesting journey with this phrase, really testing my um, willingness, my humility before him to continue to allow his word in my life to correct mistakes that I've made. And I'm going to get there in just a second. But as I was contemplating this phrase, um, I I began to to read some of the the passages and the things from the life of Jesus where where we've drawn this phrase from. And it was this incredibly cool, refreshing opportunity to hear it. And I just want you to hear it. And if nothing else, I'd love for you to walk out of here today more in love with the fact that this is what Finding Life Church cares about um, as much as anything. Real life on this earth and in eternity is found in the context of relationship with Jesus and nowhere else. And that in and of itself is enough of a reason to say what matters most is people finding Jesus. Us choosing to value this to the point that we are willing to live into it begins with us recognizing that every single one of us is or at one point was far from God, lost, hopeless, without hope in the world, every single one of us, and God decided that this phrase, what matters most is people finding Jesus, would be a value enough for him to come after us and come find us. We were far from him, and he chose to value us enough to come after us. The phrase, what matters most is people finding Jesus, is not just a catchphrase. It originated in the heart of God, the creator of the universe, and each of us are the beneficiaries of that value imprinted in his character. And I want you to hear it. This is Ephesians chapter 2. And this is like basically a a narrative or the story of God's interaction with mankind. It's not actually a story. It's Paul talking about the way God feels about people, who people are, who God is, the problem that exists of sin, and what God decided to do about it. And it's just, it's powerful stuff, Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, you were dead in your sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It's defining us, it's describing us in this place. Like at one point, you and me, maybe still, and that's okay. We're all in the same boat Before God, we are hopeless, helpless, lost, completely lost. But, verse 4, God being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that anyone can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. And here's where it gets really good in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, you in the flesh who are called 
uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ, lost, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises of God, having no hope without God in the world. This is where we sit before God. This is who we are. And I don't know about you, but I would describe that as thoroughly, utterly lost. Lost. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. Have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see this? Do you hear this? Can you connect with this for a minute? The value God places on each of our lives screams what matters most is people finding Jesus. Why? Because this is who we are without Jesus. Far off, lost, hopeless, without God in the world. But, but, because of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, instead, we are taken from afar and brought near, brought close, brought into relationship, intimacy, freedom, forgiveness, Grace, hope, salvation. This is the power of the gospel. And it begins with us understanding what matters most is people finding Jesus. Begins with applying it to our own hearts. Even if we've already found him. Because this was us at one point lost without God in the world. God valued this first. It's imprinted on his heart and he sent Jesus to show us that what matters most is people finding his son. He lived the value. Then Jesus lived the value that God spoke. So in Ephesians 2, we get this sense of God's heart for people and drawing them near by the blood of Christ. Then Jesus shows up on the planet and starts living it, living this value that's spoken by God in Ephesians chapter 2. My favorite, my favorite example of this comes in Mark chapter 2, 15, and 15 to 17. Um, later, Levi, he's a tax collector, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. I've talked about this a million times, I feel like. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, broken, messed up people. There were many of these kind of people following Jesus around. There's a reason for that, friends. But when the teachers of the religious law, Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does this man eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I came to call not those who think they've got it all together, who think they are righteous, but those who know, who know they are sinners, people who know they need me. Do you see it? Can you hear it? Jesus came to give life to the lifeless, hope to the hopeless, peace to the restless, to the broken. He came to save us from ourselves. When? While we were lost. While we were, while we were in rebellion against him, not because we asked, but because he values us that much. And Jesus' life screams, what matters most is people finding relationship with me. People finding life in me. His life screams it. And Jesus spent the entirety of his life not only living it, but telling stories and talking about it so much because he wanted us to understand this value that's so naturally imprinted on the heart of Jesus. So not only did he live it, but every chance he got, he clarified it through stories. You guys really want to know why I'm here? You really want to know what I care about? You really want to know what God cares about? It's people finding Jesus. 
Um, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Luke chapter 15 because it's one of the best places we see this value fleshed out in the teachings of Jesus. So he's going to tell three stories in Luke 15 and I don't know if any of them are actually true. It's not the point. They're illustrations. Jesus is talking to people and saying, the way Jesus loves you is like this. And actually the heading could be, he could have started, hey friends, what I care about most is people finding me. Now I'm going to tell you three stories to convince you that that's actually true, that it actually is my heart. And he starts off in verse 1, telling the story about a, a shepherd. Now all those tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This is, again, the context Jesus uses to express his heart for people who are far from him. Verse 3, so he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has, has lost one of them, doesn't, have the, doesn't leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. There's an exclamation point in the Bible. After rejoice and lost. Exclamation point. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, one person who finds me, than 99 righteous people. That's, that's really clarifying. He tells another story. He tells another story about a woman who lost a coin. It's the same kind of thing. She loses a coin. Wouldn't she get down on the floor and look for it? Until she finds it, when she finds it, she rejoices over finding the lost coin. There's a common theme that's going on here, right? Lost things being found is a really, really good thing. And the value is wrapped up in the response to finding the thing that was lost. That's where we see the heart of God, right? The shepherd didn't just like, like smack the sheep across the face and say, hey, I found you, get in this cage. You're supposed to be in your, in your, uh, in your pen with the rest of them. What the heck is wrong with you? I left the 99 to come find you because you're a knucklehead. You could have cost all of them their lives. All 99 could be being eaten by wolves right now because of you. No, he didn't, he didn't say any of that. He put them on his shoulders. He rejoiced in his heart. He finishes Luke 15 with, with the best story of all. And it gets a little more personal here because he's talking about a person. We know this story as the story of the prodigal son. And maybe you've heard it a million times. Maybe this will be the first time. But Jesus tells a story because I, I, you almost get the sense that he's, he tells the story of the sheep, the 99. Then he tells the story of the coin and like blank stares. Like they don't get it still. They don't understand what he's talking about. So he backs up one more time. He's okay, let's try to personalize this thing. And he tells an in context, very real story about a man who's really fairly wealthy who has two sons. And they work hard for him. There's an older son and there's a younger son. The younger son is kind of a brat. He's kind of a selfish, entitled kid who wants what he wants and he wants it now. So he goes to his dad and he says, hey, I want my inheritance now because I want out. I want it, so give it to me. So he says, okay, you can have it. And he takes off the younger son. Like The, the narrative tells us that he goes into the, like town or whatever and he just spends it all on the most worthless stuff possible. And he finds himself then, I don't know, days, weeks, months, how long does it take to spend a fortune? However long that takes, and, and we zoom in on the story, and here's this kid, and he realizes that he blew it. 
he realizes what he cashed in, what he gave up to get this temporary satisfaction, and he's, he's humbled. He's broken. He's beaten. And, and he's one, he doesn't know where he's going to get his next meal, and he finds a job feeding pigs and finds himself wanting to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And right there in that moment, he goes, what am I doing? And he comes up with a plan. He says, maybe if I go back to my father, he will hire me as one of his servants. There's no way he'll take me back as a son. And, and put yourself in the hearers of this story's position. Like what this son did, the violation, this son taking his money and leaving his father, like this is a big deal. When, they, when he said that, like if there were any fathers there, they were like, oh yeah, he's dead to me. Dead to me. And the son knows that. That's the cultural reality that he's dealing with. So he thinks maybe, maybe he'll give me a job. Maybe he'll give me a job. So he doesn't have any other options. So he decides to go and he walks. He begins walking back towards his father's house. And I want to pick up from there and read it to you. Um, I imagine um, like he's coming around a bend. It's a windy road going up on a hill. I don't, I've just always seen it that way. Um, he's walking around the bend, and, and, and the, the story tells us that the father missed his son and, and, in fact, longed for him to return, so much so that he was awaiting his return, anxiously awaiting, even sitting by the window. He probably didn't have windows. Sitting by the hut or whatever he was in. But he's sitting there. He's waiting. This is what the story tells us, and I want you to hear it. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found. And they began to celebrate. Same response. Right? Did you hear it? Same exact response. The coin is lost. She finds it rejoicing. Sheep is lost. Finds it rejoicing. The son is lost. Rejoicing. Yesterday as I was driving home from um, southeast of Kansas City, my wife and I went to watch my daughter um, do a show choir concert there, or competition there, and I was considering this passage and something hit me that has never hit me about this passage before. And it's some language that's used. And I already used it once in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, he says this, the, the story begins, or that aspect of the story begins, but while he was still a long way off is when his father saw him and had compassion on him. I want to go back real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. This is God talking about us, right? Remember we started with this? We are all that lost son. Listen to the language that Paul uses to describe us and the context that Jesus finds us in. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know what it was about that, but it connected with my heart in an incredibly meaningful way. It put me in this kid's shoes like I, like I never have been before. While the son was far off, the father saw him as if he was waiting for him and embraced him and kissed him, rejoiced over him. This is the way your God rejoices over you. This is the way your God longs. As we sit in this building right now, 
God can be everywhere, but he is pressed up against a glass window somewhere, looking at his, his sons and daughters who are far from him and saying, come home. I can't wait to run after you and throw my arms around you and kiss you and throw a party because what was lost has been found. This is the heart of God, friends. There's not anything else. This is it. It's us. It's the same language. Far off, brought near. Jesus loves the lost. And, and connect with this for a minute. Not with pity. Like he's not sitting pressed up against the window like pitying people who are far from him. It's compassion. Genuine compassion. Why? Because he has designed a designed purpose for their lives and they're not living into it. And it's a shell of what he wired them to be and wired them to live. Mark, Mark 6.34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Jesus. What matters most is people finding Jesus. There is this unique value Jesus places on this point that what matters in this life is where people stand with Jesus he is the gateway to real life on this earth and the next one. As the church of Jesus, how can we not live with intentionality for the thing that Jesus clearly conveyed to us mattered most to him? How? What matters most is people finding Jesus. Our mission begins with choosing to value this the way that Jesus did. Only when we embrace and live what he valued most can we call ourselves the church. And this is what I long for. It's what I long for. Number one on your outline is what matters most is people finding Jesus. Number two. But what really matters is people following Jesus. This is sort of like the thing, the journey that God has had me on. Um, I've reflected over the, the course of eight years on what, what has happened, what God has done in people's real lives. And I, I get like emotional because I can see faces of people who are experiencing life like they never have before. And I can also see faces of people who, who were experiencing life and, have, and, and aren't anymore and people who never have. And so I have all these kinds of emotions connected to this. But I am, uh, we've spent all of these eight years like fixated on this, fixated. And I'm, I'm convinced that we've done an incredible job at it. It's something that Jesus would be proud of. God has used this community to mend hearts that were previously shattered by past church experience. God has used this community to introduce people to Jesus for the very first time. God has used this community to create space for people's gifts and voice that thought they didn't have one. We've raised up and sent leaders. We've given hope to people in dire need. We have lived the heart of God in so many incredible ways. But there's one thing that I've struggled with. There's one thing that I've wondered as I've looked back. Has Finding Life Church been useful in the hands of God to shape, mold, and conform people to the image of his son, that their entire lives exuded his values. God used, God used, to, used us to multiply the number of people who truly understand what it means to follow Jesus with their whole lives. Has he done that? Has he used us to do that? And I'm certain that it has happened. There are people here that are living, a living example of this that weren't before they connected with Finding Life Church or, the, or some person in it. But I, I believe wholeheartedly that, that, that our vision is is to see that happen in massive, exponential, reproducing kinds of ways. That this is the call of every life. So here's the thing. When God draws people to himself, it is not for the purpose of checking a box, saved. 
It is because he wants to do something with their lives. That something requires, that something requires the choice to follow him. Jesus, hear this, Jesus didn't just come to save us, but to show us how he wants us to live, how to walk in his footsteps, take up his cause to show us how to follow him. We exist more for more than to just introduce people to Jesus, but to show them how to walk with him, live like him, conform to his image. In this ultimate sense, people finding Jesus is this, we, we can never lose sight of how important it really is. But here's the thing, people following Jesus assumes that they found him. Agreed? So we have this freedom then to recognize that the win for us, what really matters is seeing people reproducing and giving away the values of Jesus. Reproducing the heart of God, not only in themselves, but in others, fully developed followers of Jesus who are asking the question every day, what is God saying to my heart and to my life, and how does he want me to be better conformed to his image? Waking up in the morning intent on looking a little more, acting a little more, sounding a little bit more. Like the man, God, Jesus Christ. Why? For the sake of people finding Jesus. You get how they go hand in hand? It's, it's circular in a lot of ways. We are here to help people find and follow Jesus. Romans 8, 28 to 30 um, is a verse that's been like quoted a lot. Um, and, and it kind of gives us a little bit of comfort, but I want to I take a slightly different look at it. It says this, and we know that God's, God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. We usually stop right there. Like, that's nice. I, I like to hear that. Don't you like to hear that? Don't you want me to stand here and tell you that God is going to cause everything in your life to happen and turn out for your good? Oh, that's nice. That's beautiful. We can just, like, wrap it up right there, and we feel really good. But listen to this. Verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to be conformed to the image of his Son. So when we really look at what God is talking about here, it's not talking about your circumstances being good. He's talking about you being conformed to the image of his son and that being the thing that's good. When your life is conformed to the image of Jesus, God's desire is that each of us find him, yes, and that each of us yield to him, surrender, and that each of us lay our lives at his feet and allow his gracious hand to mold us, shape us, conform us to the image of his son, to the image of of Jesus. This is what it means to follow him. What if, what if the church, not just this one, but every single one in this world was filled with people who took this seriously, actually chose to live it, actually lived their lives in the adventure that God is calling us into, that Jesus is calling us into. It makes my heart ache when I consider how how deluded the power of the gospel becomes when we boil it down to just a conversion moment. Saying okay to Jesus is a great thing. It's the thing that we're pointed at. But when we do, it thrusts us into the adventure of being conformed to the image of his son. It places us on a powerful mission of following him into all that he designed for us to live. This is our win. Our mission to help people find and follow Jesus, actively follow Jesus, this is what we celebrate. This is what matters most. This is the mission that we are on together. This is it. This is what we want. This is what we're after. So the real question then is, what does that look like every day? I'm actually not going to get into that much today. 
We're going to talk about that next week as we flesh out the core values of Finding Life Church because we believe those exist to actually conform us to the image of his son. We're going to take some practical steps to living that out. But just a couple of things there on your outline. If, if you want to start leaning into this today to become a person that's living on the mission of Jesus, helping, helping people find Jesus, following him yourself, and then helping people follow him, there's just three really simple things. One, pursue intimacy with Jesus. That is in our mission statement. Go after him, seek him, listen to him, obey him. The next thing is let him develop in us a passion for his kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom. This language is, is all over mission statement as well. Intimacy with the kingdom and passion for his kingdom. The way our passion for his kingdom grows is through an intentional lifestyle of prayer. We call it pray and watch if you're new to this whole thing. But it's about choosing to acknowledge the fact that there are people around us everywhere that need Jesus, that need the, the, the grace of Jesus. And it's an incredibly cool thing that we get to lean into every single day, but it's not just for us. And we pray for these people. I think I've said this a bunch of times. I dare you to pray for your worst enemy and not fall in love with them. That's what it means to let him develop in us a passion for his kingdom. Then thirdly, live the tangible kingdom in the everyday moments of life, life grace, love, hope. We're armed with it. We just need to carry it, live it, and give it away. Like I said, next week, we're going to talk about those three specific things and how our values actually like prime, put us in prime position to become people who live out the mission of Jesus in really powerful ways. But as we wrap up this morning, I want to go back to where we started. The mission, helping people find and follow Jesus, is a mission that comes with personal implications. So you, right now in this moment, you are Ethan Hunt. It's mission impossible. You are on the rocky cliff and some helicopter comes and shoots a gun down or whatever that thing is and some glasses pop out and you put them on. See, it's easy to sit in rows like this and go, man, I love, I love being about a, a part of a church that knows who we are, that's passionate about people finding Jesus, that's convicted about the things that matter most. That's easy. That's fun. That's nice. That, is, that feels great. Right? But do you realize that the only way Finding Life Church can be all that this mission is calling us to is if you embrace it, accept it, and lean into it. That's where it gets scary. That's where we don't know what to do now. I liked it better when it was a corporate thing. It was like a we, right? We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. The question isn't we. That's a secondary question, right? Because the church is the sent ones of Jesus DNA, remember? It's individuals. It's human beings. It's you and me. And collectively, when we go on this mission individually, we become powerful as a group. So really, this, this isn't about the institutionalized church. This is about the call of Jesus on your life. You have to commit to living a life set on helping people find and follow Jesus. You, your spouse, your kids... A mission statement is only as good as the organization's collective commitment to living it in the nitty-gritty moments of life. And this is where I'm convinced that the church has failed miserably. We try to find ways to live our mission corporately, right? So we create programs. Right? We create sign-up sheets. Come sign up to help people find and follow Jesus. Right? That's, that doesn't work. It doesn't go like that. This is an individual call. 
This is the call God has on your life. Every church has a mission statement, but the churches that have real kingdom impact are the ones that embrace it collectively and fearlessly live into it. So your mission, I'm gonna read this differently. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this, we are, I am helping people find and follow Jesus. I believe that real life begins and ends in a genuine and deepening experience with the one who created me. I'm learning to live one moment at a time with Jesus. I am bringing my faith together with my life, resulting in a lifestyle of faith. As my own faith comes alive, so does the longing in my heart that others experience it for themselves. And my passion grows for his kingdom. It is intimacy with the king and passion for his kingdom that opens the door to a life that's worth living. The choice to pursue intimacy with Jesus makes me a disciple of Jesus. And that new identity that I have found sets me on the mission of making more disciples of Jesus, which very simply put means I am helping people find and follow Jesus. Do we want to be part of something like this? Or, or do we want to just play church once a week and go back to the rest of our lives? Like it means nothing. I know, um, I know what is easier. I know what's more comfortable. I know what comes natural. But I promise you, it's not the life you were intended to live. It's a shell of it. It's something else. And I can't wait to talk next week more about what this really looks like. Because I'm convinced that this invitation, an invitation into this life, yes, it comes with, with a willingness to sacrifice. I mean, that's where it begins. But there is nothing like living for what you were created for. There's nothing so powerful as that. And I love I love the heartbeat of Finding Life Church. And we've had ups and downs. And we've had ins and outs. And, and we've, <laughs> eight years feels like it's been about 30 years. And my hairline shows it. But dang, I love the, I love the foundations of this church. And when Emery and I left for sabbatical early this summer, we were fighting this question. What is this? How is this worth it? Why are we giving our lives to this? And this ultimately, and because I believe that we have a community of people willing to listen and to conform and set aside what I want for what Jesus wants, that's what's worth it for us. That's why we get excited about this. Because it's not easy. And we know that and we don't need it to be. But I love the humility that I've always seen in the hearts of the people that call this community their home. And I long to see that grow. Not because we need to pack out arenas, because this isn't really where it happens, but so that people find Jesus and learn what it means to follow him so that we can live into Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, when Jesus said, go, go. And as you do, make disciples. As you do, shh, help people find Jesus. As as people find Jesus, show them what it means to follow him because that's the life they were designed for and then show them what it means to show other people how to follow Jesus. That is the mission of the church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Um, thank you so much for your willingness to call us into this adventure and man, it's, it's an adventure. And I think the biggest reason it's such a massive adventure is because we are just like, we're broken. And busted, and we don't have, we don't have um, the vision in and of ourselves 
to even see clearly what we're pointed at, but you have clarified that for us, God. Um, and you have, you've chosen to believe that we're worth it. You've chosen to trust, entrust this mission with us. And Lord, I long to see the day when, um, when we see the fruit, we see the fruit of the, uh, of the intentionality of living into this mission. Lord, I pray for each individual in this room that as they consider what it really means to live a lifestyle that is, that is helping people find and follow you, they would connect the dots to their own lives and it becomes something that's real and powerful, life-changing for them. That you would show them what it might look like to live that way in the context of everyday life. You would, you would give them eyes to see people, the hurting ones, even the ones that are insulting us as people who just, they just aren't living the life that God, you designed for them. And we get to be ambassadors, ambassadors of that reality. God, thank you again for choosing us. Set us on mission together. We worship you and we love you in Jesus' name.